Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm coming to you from Fasum, uh, <laughs> as always, and I'm your regular host, Scott Witherley, and I am joined, as always, by uh, Julian Darius. Julian, how are you doing? I'm feeling quite fine, although I may be a copy of myself. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we've, uh, we are jumping into um, an interesting film, uh, a film that celebrated uh, 100 years uh, of a character's first appearance uh, with what can be considered one of the biggest financial flops for Disney, um, which will be interesting to talk about. But a film I actually love. I really enjoy this film, so I'll be interested to see what Julie has to say. Uh, we are going to be talking about the 2000, well, 2012 John Carter, uh, which was also called John Carter of Mars, but, uh, it, but uh, actually is adapting A Princess of Mars, which was originally titled Moons Over Mars. So a story of many titles uh, and many characters. Um, so I'll just quickly give a, give a bit of a rundown of the cast. We'll go over the rest later on, but it's quite a big cast. I mean, this is a stellar cast. It should have, it's quite stunning, but it came out in 2012, uh, written and then directed uh, by Andrew Stanton. Uh, one of the sort of Disney did things like Nemo and a, a bunch of others. Uh, stars Taylor Kitsch, uh, Lynn Collins, Willem Dafoe, Samantha, Mo uh, Samantha Morton, Mark Strong, uh, Kieran Hines, Dominic West, and as I say, based on the Edgar Rice Burroughs novel, Princess of Mars. So, Julian, what, what was your first take on this film then, back in 2012? Uh, I did not see this in theaters. Mm -hmm. um, I saw it when it came on HBO, and I don't think I saw the whole thing. Um, I had sort of heard what a disaster it had been. Mm. Um, and I think that my take on it was... Um, I, I wasn't especially taken with it. I didn't think it was terrible, but mm. what I saw, I, I wasn't especially taken with it. I like it more now going through the whole thing, um, but I mostly understood it in the context of uh, sort of Disney corporate maneuvering. Uh, what about you? Were you uh, chomping at the bit to uh, get your uh, John Carter fix on? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I had only ever read, I've read, I'd read A Princess of Mars before way before i think when i was sort of in my teens it's one of those that uh um i read it because i was told how much of star wars and stuff and others had taken from it over the years and uh, i quite enjoyed it. it it's proper pulp it's a really pulpy novel i mean it's been serialized and then so every chapter has a cliffhanger and you're sort of like oh better get on to the next one and they're quite punchy so it's a good <laughs> fun read i mean it has dated but, you know, it's obviously over 100 years now. Um, so when the film came, was coming out, I was like, oh, yeah, this could be really interesting. Like, you know, how are they going to tackle it? Is it going to be quite pulpy? And at the time, um, Disney was going through sort of a bit of a, a live action renaissance. They'd had the success of Pirates of the Caribbean. They'd, uh, I, don't know, I, don't know, I don't know if Lone Ranger would come out at that point, but there, was, there were 
pushing to do some interesting different things. So I thought, well, John Carter seems like a good fit for Disney at this point, you know, a bit of a swashbuckling adventure in space. Um, and then I went to see it and I did, I, I did Omanar. Um, and then the critics came out and absolutely blasted it. And I was like, it's not that bad. And the thing is, the more I watched it, I went back and watched it, the more I enjoyed it just for what it is, which is if this film had come out in, well, if it had come out in the 1980s, it would have been a miracle because of the technology involved. But like, it has those sensibilities. Like, if I'd have watched this as a kid, as a kid, like this would be up there with Ghostbusters as one of my favourite films, I think, because it's just so ridiculous. Um, but also, sort of like you say, it's just it's just space opera and fantasy. So I, I really enjoy this film. I really do. Um, think it's massively underrated. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's better than people think. I, and, and I am a huge fan of, of pulpy sci-fi. Mm. Um, and I'm a huge fan of planetary romance in general. Um, I, you know, I love the idea of, you know, I mean, it, it, it's Flash Gordon. It's, yeah. you know, Adam Strange. It's, you know, typically white guy goes to alien planet, gets the, the princess and is usually a princess. And obviously, you know, Car John Carter and, and Edgar Rice Burroughs influenced that. And I grew up on stuff like, you know, Adam Strange as a kid. Mm. That was probably my first exposure to it. Um, and, I, and I loved and still love Adam Strange. So, I mean, part of my curiosity when this came out was sort of how they were going to tackle this. Because I had read some um, uh, John Carter comics and some Deja Thoris comics, and, and they just basically ignore it and they try to kind of modernize it and mm. turn it into like Red Sonia or something and, and just kind of like bury like, yeah, there's life on Mars. Yeah, we're <laughs> not going to really touch this. And I thought this genre is, you know, this subgenre is one of my favorite genres or subgenres, but why, how is Disney going to tackle this? How is Disney going to adapt mm. that? And it seemed, it seemed like a bit of an odd choice. And I think that at the time, what I was hearing from, you know, my friends in Hollywood was that Disney was desperate to start uh, a boys franchise mm. um, that they had, you know, the princesses and, and they really wanted something that could compete with Marvel and Star Wars. Right. Uh, and what they did was John Carter and then they did Tron Legacy. Um, I'm, I'm a, I actually, I think you probably feel like this the way I do about Tron Legacy. I think Tron Legacy is massively underrated. Mm. Um, it's not a good plot. It is a mess, <laughs> but it is beautiful to look at. Mm. And I feel somewhat similarly about this, that, uh, you know, I feel like the plot is kind of a mess. I'm always wondering, like, why does he have to do it this way again? <laughs> you know? yeah. But it's good fun. And so much of the design work is just amazing. And I just, like, can watch it for just for the designs by itself. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, this is a beautiful film. It really is. Like, and a lot of attention gets paid to specific things. Like, you know, it's, it's um, they were clearly going, what well, you can see, you're right, but what they were going for. I mean, this has got um, you know, <laughs> Lord of the Rings level detail on some of the costuming and all this other stuff. And they really embrace like mocap. I mean, you know, um, the Tharks are all mocap to, to, to an extent. I mean, it's not, Andy Circus level or even sort of you know some of the stuff they've done but they, they were going for that so and I really enjoy that but you're right this this is a fairy tale this is a this is, this is nothing different to it's, it's a modern boys fairy tale isn't it I mean however looking at it now watching it this time 
and it hasn't changed my opinion of this film because I do enjoy it. Those tropes that you said, this is white saviour and class saviour all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, this is not just a white person turning up, you know, a white male turning up to lead other species, other, what, other races, other species to, um, <laughs> you know, victory and, uh, you know, unification. We're going to unify all the races in this and on this other stuff. It's also <laughs> all that sort of like class warfare as well that I see all over this. Like, you know, this is a, a humble man who comes from, uh, you know, he was a, a Confederate soldier. He was a cavalryman. He was, he's now just looking to have a, you know, live a quiet, lonely life. You know, obviously he has a tragic backstory, which we'll get to, which is part of the course. But then he applies those working class. I mean, it would be, you know, sort of mentalities to these uh, dignitaries and all these others. And it's, you know, th through his, those those principles and moralities that he's able to become victorious and it's, it's a bit it, it, it feels dated but it also it, it's a fantasy in that sense for a reason you know it's still timeless in that case maybe the maybe the white savior thing should have been addressed a little bit more but again it's 2012 not 2022 yeah and i also think that i mean it depends how you judge a film right mm. um you know i can nitpick this film to death but, you know, watching it, uh, the, the person I was watching it with was nitpicking more than I was. And I was like, yeah, you know, look, uh, they're breathing the air on Mars, okay? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I mean, I do find myself thinking, like, what's he eating? He's literally mm. had, like, two sips of water, you know? Like, they get to that water, and I'm like, how did you make it across the <clears> desert? <throat> but, okay, so, you know, sometimes those things come up. But then there's other things like, you know, you know, come on, I, how do they have this technology while other guys have sores or whatever? And, you know, um, you know, like, okay, look, they're breathing the air. What do you mm. want? And so I think, I think that we judge, we judge movies very differently. I think that the Marvel movies get a pass. Um, you know, Star Wars gets a pass. I mean, look, Star Wars and Star Trek are both about the, you know, the chosen one, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, how much of all of Federation history happened to either Kirk or Picard? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, they were the captains. <laughs> yeah, and and they're just they're able to do it. That you know, mm. it's it's only Picard can save Earth, man. You yeah. know, the rest of Starfleet, they're good gents, but you know, they really can't pull it out. Um, so look, I mean, these things are. It, but if you made a new version of that, people would say, ah, uh, 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 you know, like that kind of gets grandfathered in. And I think, you know, the Marvel movies, you know, I mean, the DC movies too. I mean, you know, uh, it kind of get graded on a curve. And mm. this movie got pounded critically for things that, you know, are not unique to it at all. No. Um, and there are things that it is doing really well that those other movies are not. No, it's, it's true. I mean, you know, what, what's funny is, um, I mean, what year did Avatar come out? Um, after chat because I, I read I went back and I read some of the reviews of um, of this when it came out and for example like the guy from the Guardian gave it like one star and absolutely lambasts it for a whole number of things um, <clears throat> but um, Avatar 2009 so it came out a couple of years before this um, but one of the things that gets bad is exactly is that white saviour thing you know that, oh are we not past all this yet and I was like uh, well 
probably you know but you gotta remember this is based on a novel literally the premise of the novel is john carter getting sent to like (laughs) if you're not going to do the white savior trope then you don't have a story because that's literally what it is um and so and then but then there's sort of like the same things were being applied lesser to uh, avatar Mm -hmm. which is exactly the same thing yeah and so i was a bit like well like you say how is it this doesn't get applied to other things this shows and what like you know the matrix and um star wars another nitpick of star wars you know you want to talk about the the, the, yes they are breathing on mars but how is it that multiple races (laughs) of aliens can travel to varying different planets and all of them seem to be lung breathing you know bipeds you know star wars they literally breathe on an asteroid yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. I mean, so, you know I'm gonna let which has a giant worm on it, of course, because yeah. <laughs> asteroids are the perfect breeding place. I yeah. mean, no, I mean, and and Han Solo is, I mean, uh, I mean, outside of Lando, who's a traitor, right? I mean, there's one woman in the entire galaxy, and there's one black dude, and he betrays them. I mean, yeah, yeah, but those things kind of get a pass; they get grandfathered in, and I think that. The th- part of the problem with John Carter is that the source material was 100 years old mm. and you and I knew of it, but other people don't. I mean, the mm. general public just thinks, oh, this is Disney's new franchise. And they even, I think even the title John Carter and the way it was promoted was designed to kind of hide that this was something old. It was like, this is the new flashy whiz-bang Disney movie. It's mm. just John Carter. It's not John Carter of Mars because movies about Mars had done really poorly historically. Um, and so, I mean, we just did Mars Attacks, right? Yeah. You know? uh, so, and that did better than most of them. Uh, so Disney didn't want that curse and didn't want people to think, you know, this is something old. And I think that that helped people sort of not grandfathered in or mm-hmm. not give it the, uh, you know, like you said, if you're going to adapt the source material, well, half these people didn't know that there was any source material. Mm. And it's, that, there is that, and um, that's true. Um, and they do modernize things. I mean, you know, that's, mm-hmm. they, they have adapted a lot of this. And if they were, you know, because it's not a true, pure adaption. I mean, uh, you know, Deja Thoris is very different in this mm-hmm. to how she is in the source material. And, and rightfully so. I mean, like, you know, she's actually a much more interesting character in this than she is in the source material. Like, um, you know, if you want to continue with that fairy tale premise, like she's much closer to the... Um, damsel in distress in that source mm-hmm. material the, the, than mm-hmm. she is in this um and it, you know so that that's addressed in, in in much more interesting ways um but yeah i think you may be right this this idea of being you know it, coming into this if you were to come into this cold mm-hmm. there's a there's a lot of questions uh, about, <laughs> you know um there's, and some of it gets doesn't get addressed until the very end and even then in like a drop line um, you know, when they talk about like how he's been transported to Mars, and it's like, oh, it's no, no, you are a copy of. Mm-hmm. So your your body is still on Earth, um, you know, and if your body dies, you die here, which is and I like that concept, but I'm like, so no one's found him in that cave, and like, you know, what yeah. ha- what generated the new body? Why is I, it? I, I... You know. See, I mean, I, I did not understand that. And I actually had an argument after the movie with a friend who I watched it with. Mm. So, I mean, uh, this is written by Michael Chavin, right? And Michael mm-hmm. Chavin, he, you know, he loves, I mean, he just did Star Trek Picard, uh, mm. which I, I loved. Um, 
and you know obviously a, a, an excellent writer and he loves john carter i mean i, I read interviews with him mm. uh, adapting this and it was just like yeah i mean he loves this so I thought that that was him, like, obviously every, every Trekkie knows, you know, that the, the transporter creates a double, right? Yeah. Way before the prestige, 30 years before that, every Star Trek fan knew that. Um, but, so I thought that's what he's doing a nod to, because, but then it seems as if there really is a copy on Earth, mm. that's just, the, the, you know, the body is still on Earth, but a copy, but that doesn't make any sense. Because first of all, not only does nobody find him, his body hasn't starved to death on Earth in all of these days. And he, when he returns to his body, he returns to his body. He has memories. It's not like his body goes on, you know. I mean, his memories return. So I, I don't know. It's, it's, and, and then there's that weird thing at the end where I, I, I was actually debating, like, was this part of the trick? Um, you know, where he says to Edgar Rice Burroughs, Who's, who's in the film, and I think that works well and is interesting, where he says, if my body dies here, you know, uh, uh, I'll, I'll die on Mars. But it's like, is he still on Mars? It's like, there's a copy of him on Mars hanging out? I... It's, it's never addressed in the film. And so yeah, I wanted to quickly check, and it's not really addressed in the books either. Mm -hmm. um, but is this notion of, and weirdly, the other person that sort of taps into this idea, you know, is Lovecraft. Um, who, this idea of things being projected around uh, space and uh, one of the stories you know that, um, that we sort of get our title from um, the uh, the shadow out of time um, has the exact thing of, of someone having their, their consciousness projected into an alien being and an alien beings consciousness projected into their human body for seven years uh, and also Randolph Carter does so similar uh, he's able to project his consciousness around and stuff. Um, and so it's, it, it seemed to be a bit of a thing in the zeitgeist at the time of some of the writers. Um, and, and Carter may have sort of kicked that off. But I don't think they want to care. They, they, they love the notion of it. They love this idea of... It's, it's teleportation without teleportation. And it, But the problem with this is it does. It opens up a whole series of logistical problems. Because the other problem that was really bothering me about this is it's obviously done with this medallion thing that he gets hold of, that these um, elder beings, which is obviously, you know, even more Lovecraftian, have got this technology. And then you see one of them played by Mark Strong. And you see this character zipping around the planet. You know, he goes from place to place and he obviously appears and reappears and he changes shape and all this other stuff. And I was thinking, if you're zipping around the planet, where's your original body? Mm -hmm. Is each one of these a copy? And does it dissolve or does it disappear when, when you've done your job? Like it's a, yeah, the, the, the science is a little inconsistent and it doesn't really add up. Um, it's almost like one of those sort of, um, it's the first hill to get over, isn't it? It's sort of like, but how are we getting him to Mars? This way, okay, fine. <laughs> I'm gonna have to accept that. Um, Cause as well, not yeah. as it's a body, it's all his clothes as well. <laughs> well, right. Yeah, and and then I I don't understand. Like I, I kept calling them the engineers, you know, from mm. Prometheus. Like yeah. these these elder <laughs> beings. Like I don't understand anything about them. It seems like you know they there are these lines that they like feed on conflict, and they're kind mm. of trying to control the different races. So none of them really threaten them or 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 grow. I mean. But they clearly have lived a long time. They're prepared for Earth to go extinct. They're, you know, 
they say Mars is going to outlast them and go extinct. And somehow they, but if they have all, it's like, if they have all this technology, why are you manipulating these petty yeah. people? I mean, this, I, I, I don't I, understand I, anything about them. And I thought the movie would have been a lot stronger without them. I agree. I agree. Cause they don't really add that. They're, they're, they're existing in the story. doesn't really add a great deal to the story. You've already got the conflict there. You have the love triangle. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, if you take the if you take the setup, and this, you know, let's take the setup. You have the Tharks that are a native tribal. Um, I'm loath to use the word, but barbaric race that travel around the desert, you know, uh, area. I love their culture. Like some of their mm-hmm. culture is really cool. Like when they're introduced, you know, they have young, and there is no mm-hmm. sort of like explicit lineage. There's just a um, they get the babies and sort of let them loose, and then the, the females have to sort of grab one, and that's the sort of like you know, there's that sort of thing. That's quite cool. So really interesting bits in that. And then you have the Redskins, which I'm, I can't remember what their race name is, but um, they're then split between these two cities, and then these two cities have sort of been you know a, sort of a stalemate for a long time. But there's been a war for a thousand years, and you think, okay, that's enough. <laughs> You know, because then Carter comes into this and he falls in for, for with you know with Deja, who is um, a representative of Helium, which is the lesser of the two cities. It's always on the defensive, and so all right, well those two together are going to form a strong alliance and they're going to take on the stronger, you know, oppressive sort of the city. Enough. That's that's your white savior moment to then bring in these as you call them engineers. It's, it adds in this sort of element behind the scenes that it doesn't add anything to the story. It adds in this idea of a, a more ancient technology, which is what they needed in order to get um, Carter, John Carter to Mars. Um, but it could have been avoided. I think it could have been avoided. If anything, and this, I wanted to explain that dynamic just because all I could think about, again, having watched this film this time, one of the things that sort of jumped out to me quite explicitly was this is almost the setup of a conspiracy theory. <laughs> You know, yeah, I've got these two parties, you know, what you, you may want to say, uh, you know, Republicans, Democrats, or so-and-so and so-and-so. It could, all, it could be any two parties. Well, all that is nothing because there's a greater, there's an Illuminati mm. in the background that really control things. And they're mm-hmm. the ones giving up the technology. They're the ones that really manipulate what's going on. Um, and it just felt like that was all this was, was that sort of feeding into that conspiracy you know conspiracy theory ideas of um a, a bigger power behind everything um, yeah and i i think that's almost always a mistake in fiction right mm. i mean and, and you see it in sci-fi a lot i mean you see it in in other stuff too right where it's like oh well you know i mean how many movies basically can't think of a third act so the third act is like guess what the villain we've been chasing all along was actually somebody i mean Mm. There were like four Jason Bourne movies about this, okay? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, and I think it's a trope that almost never works in sci-fi. And to get to your point about sort of focusing, I, I found that there are so many proper names that the the viewer has to get over. It is a it is a big haul for a general movie going audience um, that isn't necessarily down with that as part of like oh i'm in a foreign culture uh as a plus in sci-fi right so to you know constant it's not only the proper nouns and the alliances it's also all of these religious rituals and the names Mm -hmm. of their gods and the names i mean there's so much to digest here 
to then have an, a, 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 you know, an additional, what, a fourth party out there, not even countering the, the Earth parties, um, that has its own basically unexplained backstory, it really adds to the confusion. And like you said, I mean, it really doesn't add anything. And I think it gets, it also detracts from that planetary romance that is the, mm. the heart and soul of this. I mean, what you want in a John Carter movie is guy transported to Mars, gets thrown into, you know, a sort of Guardians of the Galaxy, although I'm not a fan of that movie, but just sort of thrown into uh, Martian politics. And he's got to mitigate between the two sides. And by the end, he's united them and he's married the princess and, you know, and he's achieved this, you know, masculine uh, white savior ideal. Um, that I mean, look, Guardians is a white savior movie. Yeah. Um, you can do that movie and have it be fun, but every scene with these guys just uh, manipulating um, uh, McNulty from The Wire, uh, <laughs> you know, just really kind of drags and you want to get back to the action. The th one of the things I thought about a lot watching it this time again because I, I, I think i've watched it enough that i get a lot of it but you're right there are still mm -hmm. names and sort of rituals and parts of this film where i'm like i don't really need to know that i'm not going to worry about it like i know that the leaders are all called jadax but like you know they refer to all of them as jadax but yeah but surely if you're different tribes and different races you'd have slightly different <laughs> titles and names yeah. so that's always bothered me but um so we get that, that that's the sort of the you know a lot going on. But when, I honestly think Andrew Stanton, when he was doing this, had watched... Um, I think he'd been promised more. Mm. I think Disney were like, right, you're going to have at least four films, you know. Mm. This is going to be a biggie, so don't worry, because there's stuff we can explain in the later films. You've got all these books, and we've got a wider... We can do comics, and blah, 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 blah. Right? So that's what was going to be the idea. And I think he was looking at things like Star Wars uh, mm -hmm. and saying, well, people can understand, you know, uh, the, the, the relevance of some of the stuff going on there within the Jedi religion, then I'm pretty sure they can pick this up. Mm -hmm. I also think he was looking at Lord of the Rings. Um, I think he was looking at, mm. uh, in particular, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, you know, the, yeah. the film trilogy. And I think he was thinking, if people can accept in a first film hobbits and wizards and balrogs and ring wraiths and all this other stuff then they're going to get this not realizing i think that tolkien has a much bigger um fan base built in mm -hmm. but also it's easier to accept because hobbiton is just a village down the road from me yeah you know yeah. everyone was like, oh it's just little short english people you know it's all <laughs> That's that, and, and the, you said going to Mars, it feels like an completely different. And you know, this is going to sound awful, but to give them everything from a different skin color to, you know, a completely different um, uh, religious bases and everything else, like you are making them way too foreign for people to um, relate to quickly. And I do think that's a problem with this film. I, I like that idea in sci-fi, mm. right? I mean, I'm mm. always talking about make the aliens alien, right? Yeah. Um, so I like that they have a different culture. I, you know, some of it feels a little arbitrary, but, you know, my, I don't object to any of that stuff. I, I object to the engineers. 
um, as I call them. But but also, uh, I think that that kind of like hard sci-fi element of, yeah, we're going to make you do this work. This is an alien culture. It's not going to necessarily make sense to you is incongruous with the sort of like planetary romance swashbuckling, mm. right? Like, uh, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean does not make you do any work, yeah. right? You know, I mean, there may be a couple characters who are mentioned. You're going to see them in an hour. Sit tight and watch the sword fights. Mm. That's all you have to do. Um, and I think that for a movie that was kind of sold that way, um, you know, there, there might be this kind of incongruity. No, and, I, that, and that's sort of my point, I think, is what I totally agree with that is, again, like you and I, I think we've got no problem with that. We could be thrown into a sci-fi film and, and you sort of, you'll go with it and you'll go, okay, this is probably going to be answered at some point, or I've got to form my own opinion about it. And I'm quite comfortable doing that. But if you're going to sell this to a bunch of 12 year olds or younger, then you can't do that. You know, you need to, and it sounds awful, but you need to take this down to the base elements. And the base element of this film is John Carter going around kicking the crap out of things. Like, you know, that's, yeah. that's what it is. That's the adventure. He's, he's your Jack Sparrow. And funnily enough, I think that's the case. I, I think I enjoy this film most when I'm following John Carter. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, what, you know, speaking of sort of like what, how does, there's that moment where the, he starts to understand the Tharks languages, mm. uh, the Tharks. Um, are you aware why that is? Mm. So when he's taken, you know, and they sort of, they, they, um, uh, Sojo is given, he's given to Sojo, isn't he? Sort of as a, you don't get an actual youngling, you get mm. the, the white ape, as they call it, you know, the, um, and so he then gets, um, covered in the white powder to sort of to be deliced or sort of thing and then he's given mm -hmm. a drink and he's given this drink and as he sort of drinks it he starts to understand mm -hmm. and she says it's the heart of Basum and again so I know that what that is that's again it's water because the, the planet is very um, barren you know they don't get mm -hmm. the water so and it's to, in, uh, from, remember, from research and which is I shouldn't have to do, but from you know source materials <laughs> and stuff, it's taken from wells, taken from um, uh, Barsoom, which is Mars, and so it gives you that ability. And it's it's um, it, it's basically yeah, it's magic dust. It's, it's, oh, magic, it's magic yeah. drink. It's it's what it is. Right. That's the idea. It, you are taking on an element of Barsoom, and that sort of so you're able to. That's why they're all able to talk to each other. Um, because of that and it's, it's the same as you know it's the universal translator of this mm -hmm. of this universe right well except <laughs> it's not it's magic not technology yeah but i mean well, i don't understand whether i mean you know i i can look back on now and sort of see like how okay yeah that's that's sort of in there i don't understand why there's not i mean they sort of hang a lantern on their problem uh with with the dialogue but then you know, it's like people can hear. Now you can talk to people. Somebody could just say, you know, it's the it's you've ingested part of the planet, or or mm. you know, which sounds a little dune sort of. Uh, well, it is, it is, she she literally just calls it the heart of Basum. She says you are mm. drinking the heart of Basum, and then that's it. And they don't really address it any further. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it is because um, I I do kind of like the it, it's. It's all very silly and sort of stuff. But when he first comes across the Tharks and 
<clears throat> like you say, trying to say some of the names in this is ridiculous. But um, yeah, what's his name? Um, Tharg, uh, Tharg, Tharg, oh, I can't even say it. William Defoe's character, <coughs> the leader of the Tharks. Um, mm-hmm. And they have that conversation cross sort of like uh, uh, language mm. and, and other stuff. Yet they still understand each other to an extent. It's like, I kind of like some of that stuff. Oh, yeah, that's great. It, it works really well because he's sort of like, again, like, um, I'm just going to find the name of it's bothering me. Uh, Taz Tarkas. Um, you know, he's, he's actually, he's seen him jump <coughs> mm. and straight away he's thinking, not, oh, this is an alien. He's thinking, oh, that's a skill that we could really use. Like straight away, tactically, he's thinking, you give us an advantage over certain things. Um, and he's trying to demonstrate that. And I, I kind of like that as the character sort of like, as, um, as the leader of the Tharks, like he is always thinking about how do we have a tactical advantage to survive over others and stuff. So there's character elements in this that I really like. And again, it usually comes to characters. And again, the Tharks are my favorite in this. Like they have the mm-hmm. best relationship with John Carter. Mm-hmm. Um, the Redskins in this sort of um, the, the, the humanoid characters in this, they're all really boring. Yeah. Yeah, Deja, and sort Deja. of poorly developed, uh, which yeah. surprised me because I mean, this is a Pixar director. Like, you know, I think Pixar's hit and miss, but one thing Pixar nails every single time is the characters. You know, every character. You know, I mean, the plot might not make sense, but <laughs> you will love those characters. And I, I, I felt the same thing. Like, it's really the Tharg show. Yes. Tharks. Yeah, and that, that's clearly where Andrew Stanton's heart lies as well. Like, you know. And it's got some, there's some fantastic little moments in this of how the relationships develop. And you, so you, you learn that uh, Solar is, is uh, the daughter of Taz Tarkas. And so there's that relationship mm. building up as well and all this other stuff. But they seem to have this sort of trust relationship. And the fact that like, by the end of the film, um, you know, Carter becomes a Jaddak himself. Like he is literally leading the, the, um, the Tharks. But when he does, it goes a bit pear-shaped. I kind of like the fact that he's not <laughs> infallible. Like, he goes to the wrong place. Um, instead of going to Helium, where the wedding is going on at the end of the film, where the climax is, they go to the other Red City. And they're like, where is everyone? They're like, they're at the other city. And I like the fact that uh, Taz Tarkis leans across and just smacks him around the back of the head, like, you pillow. Yeah. Like, it's just, <laughs> you... I was confused by that because I was like, he, he's the leader now. What, yeah, what are you yeah. doing? <laughs> and then I, I, I didn't like how he, he then he says, uh, like, you know, come on, we got to go. And they say, oh, no, Tharks don't fly. <laughs> okay, that's fine. We've already kind of established that. But it's like, well, you're the leader. And the, one of the first things you do is abandon them. You yeah. know, and, and, and then, of course, you know, like, oh, okay, these, they're going to show up when they're most needed, right? You know? Yes. But at least they show up and they don't say, we're here for you, Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it could have been worse. But yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, I wanted him to, I, I like the sort of, uh, I can deal with him being uh, in charge of the Tharks. Mm-hmm. I think that gladiator thing kind of, you know, is a little to be expected, but the, mm-hmm. but the design work is great. You know, uh, everything's kind of a little by the numbers. Like, you know, the chain is going to come in handy. It's like, you know, uh, by any chance is that thing that they use to, to tie you down going to be used as a weapon. <laughs> yeah. um, 
but you know it works and you're like oh okay you know we had this massive setback to the plot we've now resolved that and he's come out on top in the white savior fashion right mm. i'm fine with it but then I, I thought you know okay now we've got another setback and they they aren't really following you, you know? yeah. uh, so i i could have done without that but i i did i i agree with the, the whole sort of fark stuff um the the temple is great even though i don't know that we really need it yeah. but you know it's cool to see like i you know i love those designs i mean the design work of the of the gladiator i don't know where that gladiator pit is you know because they're like in the desert with some like uh sort of like uh homes carved into the uh, mm. uh into the stone face um and then all of a sudden they've got like a, a giant coliseum yeah uh, but the design work is amazing. I, I love that temple. I love I love all that design work. Well, I think that's one of the issues I have with this is it does you know because I, again I, I look again I love watching because it taps into that ten year old me that's just going like as you say it's a bit out of the numbers. I can just sit and enjoy most of this. But I do get that feeling of like someone whoever the concept artist was on this was good because mm-hmm. I get a feel like the concept artist came up, drew a load of stuff and Andrew Stanton and then the, some of the, the other, you know, the producer was like, we love it. We love it. We love it. We love it. Get it all in. <laughs> and, and so they've gone, well, no, these were options. I know. And I want all of them. And you go, um, okay. And so they do sort of seem to, they do, does seem to be things. I mean, this film runs for what? Two and over two hours. Yeah. And they like say there are scenes and sections where I'm like, like you say, this could be cut doesn't really do anything it looks beautiful like it looks brilliant but it's not really needed mm-hmm. um and so i do feel like you know there's clearly that sort of mentality of like we've got to get this in and oh, oh don't forget this and that and it's sort of all all it's sort of forced in and it becomes incredibly dense um which is a real shame um but all in all though it's, it's i say the first i don't I'd say the first two acts are great. Like I really enjoy sort of the build up and there's like the questing to find it, you know, um, the heart of Basum and, and sort of look at the legacy and all this other stuff. And where's this blue energy? Cause she's looking for this blue beam thing, this new, this energy, the ninth energy sort of kind of thing. Um, again, the ninth not, ray, the ninth I mean, ray. Yeah. Not really explained. What um, the hell is that? I mean, yeah. Um, and that, and that becomes a big problem in the climax where, you know, characters are just zapping around and then you know they're yelling at each other about the ninth ray <laughs> and you're like what well the thing is, I think that's the thing i did you know, again watch this i've never thought about it before because i think of it's a bit like well some of the parts of the caribbean films like you say you've sat mm-hmm. i've sat back a little bit and gone mm, nom, 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 nom. this is really tasty <laughs> in the same way as a fast food thing is and then when you actually sat down and look at what you're eating you're going like oh this is problematic <laughs> And um, that's a bit like this. Is like I could sit and just enjoy this like every time, and then like I say the finale comes, and I'm a bit like, oof. Uh, I'm just going to enjoy the fighting. Like it's cool that the mm-hmm. Tharks turn up. I like the way it's all staged. I like the way it looks. There's some there's some good bits in it. One of the people I really love that's in it that I didn't mention is James Pufroy. Um, comes in about halfway through, plays um, sort of like Dejas. I thought he was going to be like a love, an, another sort of. Um, threat to that sort of you know, another element to the love triangle kind of thing but he's not he's just sort of like one of her bodyguards and he's he's quite a, he's always a fun character actor 
So there's, again, good people in it. I'm just enjoying watching them. And the mum was like, I'm enjoying watching this. I'm not going to worry too much about this silly ninth rate <laughs> business. It doesn't make a great deal of difference. Um, so, yeah, it, but the ninth ray, it should be the MacGuffin of this film. It, right. Well, it is the MacGuffin of this film, but it should be sort of like well, way, way more defined uh, and explained. Um, you know, they keep tapping into like, well, this is forbidden and we shouldn't know that. And it's like, why? Why is it that forbidden? I mean, that, that should really be the theme of this film is you know unknown knowledge or sort of like you know lost knowledge and why is it we don't tap into that and sort of um more of that but it's not it's you know it's it's other stuff yeah and and i mean there is this problem with a lot of these sort of modern action climaxes especially sort of post superhero uh stuff where you know i find myself thinking okay well what are they doing again uh you know sort of like where are they what is like what is this guy's motivation i mean it seems like the um the mcnulty guy uh is um you know he's obeying the orders of the engineer dude Mm. and the engineer dude wants to prevent this ninth ray from like you know i mean there's there's a kind of like convoluted thing way that they're going about it where I, I found myself thinking like why don't you just zap these people like why are you just manipulating this guy to make another guy you know do something else um you know there, there is some of that like there's a much more there's a much less convoluted route to get here oh yeah yeah i mean the, the thing is that ninth ray this sort of like forbidden knowledge that you know this thing the what it boils down to is they have control of it the, the mm-hmm. engineers, whatever they're called, the, the um, um, you know, I mean, even the bloody name. So I'm just looking at Mark Strong. <laughs> he plays Matai Shang. It, it, you know, again, sure. it, yeah, it, it, we're calling the engineers. They have control and the ability or the ability to control and, and manipulate the ninth ray, this, this energy source. And that's how they're able to do all the stuff. They then use that as the basis for their technology uh, which allows them to zap around using their medallions and all of the things, change shape or, you know, so people can't see them. But also, it's they give um, Dominic West um, the uh, almost like a version of it for him to, you know, that blue thing that could be a blade, it could be a gun, it could oh, be yeah, yeah. things. And that's, again, technology fueled by the Ninth Ray. So the fact that, like, Deja is now sort of looking at, cracking the code and, and you know developing this nitrate technology that's the problem that's what this all boils down to is like oh no actually these other these two races are about to crack the technology that we use and is really what gives us the advantage that's what this film comes down to the reason that dominic west is chosen to be the ruler is because he's not interested in developing technology. That's not what his mm-hmm. city is all about. It's about power and strength, not about learning and, and development. So they want him in charge because it protects um, the ninth ray technology that they have. Right. That's what it boils down to, but it shouldn't take that to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, I mean, that's that's... I mean, on its face, I mean, this is a horrible plot, right? I mean, there's there's a ninth ray. I mean, I mean, just the convoluted nature of that. And again, none of this is necessary. Like, 
there's a version of this movie that I would like. I, I don't dislike this movie. I think it's I think it's falsely maligned. But there's a version of this movie that I would absolutely love. Mm. Uh, that is basically get rid of the engineers, get rid of that stupid prologue scene on Mars, which I always hate when they set something ahead of time where it's mm. like, no, no, no. We're supposed to follow John Carter, okay? Yeah, I don't yeah. want to see, you know, you know, he's your audience identification figure. And then trim the fat, let this be, but fill in that time with more time with the culture, more time with just the characters sitting around and uh, getting those character moments in. Let the, let the camera linger Blade Runner style on some of just that architecture on just, you know, I want to see and feel what it's like to really be in that camp, which we get a little, but I, I, you know, I really want to be sold on that. And I don't care if it's a two and a half hour long movie, mm. as long as, you know, what's there sells you on character, sells you on place, sells you on, you know, like, wow, that's a, that's a fascinating shot. It's a, you know, you'd have time to sort of like explain, you not be as lost with those characters and their names because you have the time to explore them and have these conversations instead of like, it's Jojo jo, jo, and we're yeah. going to go fight Jojo jo, with a, with a bow, bow, bow weapon. Yeah. It's like, oh, the bow, bow, bow? Yeah, yeah, we're using the bow, bow. Okay, let's go. You yeah. know, it's like, I barely had time to process that and now we're on to the next thing i and i think that you could you could emphasize that planetary romance thing emphasize the the political structure on mars and let yourself get lost in that setting and really go on that journey with john carter um, mm. and you know love those designs i mean i don't like the the uh red uh people's ships also i think they're inconsistently red like they mm. look totally pale skinned yeah. white dudes. And then the next shot, it's like, Oh, there's a red tint there. But the ships, I mean, with the dragonfly stuff, it's like, yeah, it's okay. But there are rooms in this, in their castles and stuff that are just like, that's an amazing design. Like, mm. you know, star Wars would, would love to have a design like that. Like, yeah. you know, that is a brilliant, that's some brilliant work. Even the dog is great. I was, gonna, I, was, I, was, I was gonna get to the talk because yeah. <laughs> I really like the dog. I'm a sucker for a sidekick. Um, but one of the things in, in this film, you, you're right, is because even like so, Dominic West's uh, city, I'm gonna remember what his bloody character's called now. So, Dominic West is uh, Saab Thane, so he's the sort of the baddie redskin in this. The city that he runs, and it's never really, it's it, it sort of touched on and it's sort of shown because it sets up a sky, like a, a, like a, um, a speeder race later on, a speeder chase, mm -hmm. is that that city is walking. Mm -hmm. That city's on a, like a centipede of legs moving across the sort of the surface of Barsoom. And I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah. That, that should be a real <laughs> story point of, you know, okay, it's moving away from so-and-so. We've got to get there. We've got to get there. It's moving towards so-and-so. We've got to, you know, it's moving towards helium. We've got to beat it there. Why is that never used? Like the city moves. And I'm like, that should be a major plot point. Because even at the end of it, when they all go to Helium, or they don't, they actually go to the traveling planet, to, to the traveling city, and it's and, you know, all sort of stuff. Oh, no, they're at Helium. It's like, what? this city travels. Why isn't that city at Helium? All <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. It's like taking your car and then walk, you know, they're walking the rest <laughs> of the way. It's bizarre. Um, 
yeah, and was a, but there are some great looking bits in, and, and there is a like a speeder chase in this where, like you say, uh, Carter's on a smaller version of those those things. It it drops down, it goes through a sort of like a, a market street, and then it dips down and does all this other stuff. Like, and I love that. It looks fantastic, and I'm you know I'm all invested in that. And there are other bits like that. When the action kicks in, when I'm when I'm following John Carter, like I say, I'm fully invested in this film. I actually, you know, the White Apes when he's fighting with uh, mm. Taz Tarkas in the in the um, uh, arena later on is good fun. It's all predictable, um, but there, there are moments in this sort of because um, Carter has an arc about acceptance, you know, about sort of letting things go giving life a chance. That's supposed to be his arc in this, isn't it? Like, you know, you find out that he's a broken man at the start of the film. Like, and again, you get flashbacks, which again, like this film's a 12 in over here, but it's a Disney film. Yet it shows like two burnt corpses, like briefly, but still I'm like, wow. Um, So he's lost his wife and daughter. And so he wears the wedding rings on his fingers. And he's like, you know, it's about him moving on from that and dealing with his grief and accepting That's great. But there's, but there's moments along that arc that I kind of like, you know, we sort of like, he finally says like, you know, yeah, there is something to live for. So he sends Deja off and he faces the, 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 another tribe of Tharks, um, that, you know, the sort of another tribe that, um, Taz Tarkas has mentioned a couple of times and he jumps into the middle of them and it's just sort of like a sword swirling. And it's sort of like him, this mound of bodies sort of mind, mind, mounding up around him as he continues to fight. Like, and I'm like, that's ace. Like, you know, it's rid- <laughs> ridiculous and stupid, but it's so pulpy and fun watching him. And I think like Taylor Kitsch isn't a great actor, mm-hmm. but he's good enough for this to do what he needs to do. And so, like, yeah. whenever I'm following John Carter in this, like, you know, in all these moments, I'm like, yes, I'm really in on this. And even in the climax, like, you know, when they, they do stop the wedding and it's all sort of, it's Flash Gordon. And, I, again, I'm enjoying it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm all in on this. <laughs> and then they say, and then all of a sudden they try to deal with the grander themes of the big plot. And I do sort of disengage. My brain goes, oh, oh like you say, there'll be a sword fight in a minute. I can come back for that. <laughs> My brain will come back for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I would agree with you. I my only objection to the the dragonfly chase sequence is that it has one of those what I call like Force Awakens moments, where not Force Awakens, uh, Phantom Menace moments, where you know where it's like, oh, I can't control this yet, I fly directly through an entire corridor of a you know just like okay, little kid, you know like. You know, I, 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 I don't know what I'm doing here. I just pushed some buttons and I blew up the Death Star. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I hate that stuff. But it is, is really well done. Um, the special effects are fantastic. Again, the design work is great. Mm. I do find myself wondering, one of my gripes about this movie is, I, I think that, like, the, the whole, I happen to be in the uh, Cave of Gold, you mm. know, is dumb. Um and then, you know, but you get to Mars and, you know, things pick up. I love the Thar, you know, like, I, I love that. I love the sense of just exploring this alien environment where just like nothing makes sense. Mm-hmm. I'm just thrown into it. That's so central to the, to the planetary romance thing. Um, but, you know, I have to say, I don't get the sort of like lack of gravity, super strength that he has. 
he seems to, you know, like the gravity on Mars is not a hundredth of what it yeah. is here, right? Like he, he's super, he's making Superman 1940 jumps. Um, and, you know, like beating up those, those thoughts. And then there are other times where, like when he's on that dragonfly, I, I thought, you know, you've fallen from greater heights than this and survived. Like you yeah. don't have to worry if you fall off this thing, right? Yeah. Um, so there's a little bit of inconsistency there. And I don't get... I don't really understand what's going on with that. I mean, even the sort of like, I love the adjusting to gravity bit, right? When it mm. gets to Mars. But the more I watch it, the more I think, yeah, that's all wrong. You know, <laughs> like, like it, it's just, uh, like, it shouldn't be this awkward. You shouldn't be walking like bow-legged, mm. uh, you know? There's just a little bit of, uh, I don't know what's going on there. It, it's, it's sort of like a really good idea, done sort of like 45 degrees off or something yeah i know what you mean because it's inconsistent with him then running around the rest of the time um <laughs> but uh, it, it's it's it, again it's that sort of thing isn't it because it doesn't matter again like it, it, yeah. it, it's, it's there to introduce that he can do these big jumps and he's strong and that's it isn't it it's sort of like um it's it's it'd be grateful it's not a training montage you know that's all i can say because mm. it could well have been um mm-hmm. But yeah, it is a bit. It is inconsistent because later on, when he's like jumping from thing to thing, you know, sometimes he can jump fifty feet. Sometimes it just gives him an extra bounce. It's sort of like you know, it's, um, and it's it's the fact he has full control of that by the end of the film in order to fight. And and you know, there's no, um, oops a daisy, I've gone too far kind of moments <laughs> or whatever. Um, but it's not that film. It's not supposed to have that tone. I mean, if this was Jack Sparrow, then you probably would have those moments. Um, and like you say, you know, he's supposed to be quite a sort of a serious saviour type by the end. Um, but yeah, and there are moments like that throughout the film, you know, mm-hmm. um, where I sort of ask, does the, the inconsistency of the physics in this, um, you know, and because with aliens and stuff, I like the fact because they are different, you know, they're like eight foot tall and got big tusks, four arms, and all this other stuff. They look cool. But at no point does he sort of go, eh. those, uh, those bodybuilders, you're incredibly human looking. Yeah. yeah. You know, there, there's an entire race of humanoid looking people on, on Mars. <laughs> That's really bizarre. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's never, it never phases him. He's never like... It's true because uh, uh, there's a scene where he's talking with Deja and he she's saying like here's the ne- here's the planet names that we have given the solar system which is and kind of great by the way I mean that's kind mm. of a great scene I mean I can nitpick some things here and there but I, I love the fact that, yeah th- th- it's not like oh yeah like Mercury Venus you know Earth it's like they've got different we are far soon like Earth is far mm-hmm. soon I like the fact that they've re- they have a different name and a different sort of perspective on the, the thing. But this is a cavalry officer and a Confederate soldier in 18, whatever this is supposed to be, sort of 1870s, 1880s, probably the 1870s, I'd say by the, the dates. No, but he knows the planets? <laughs> yeah, I, I did wonder this, yeah. I was like, so he knows Mercury, Venus, he can figure out Mars? Like, he's, his, his education level seems slightly higher than I would expect for, um, you know, a, a person in his position. Um yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can buy that he would know the planets, 
but I, I can buy that. I mean, that's, that's general audience enough. I mean, I know that, you know, at least a few decades later in America, mm. you know, er- everybody basically knew that stuff. Mm. Uh, at that time, I don't really know, but I mean, he only needs to get four right. You know? <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I was more bothered by like, you know, uh, by Deja, you know, like they trigger this sort of like, you know, uh, floor holographic, you know, floor mm. energy stuff. And, and you're made to understand that this is some sort of like Kryptonian-esque sort of technology that like Krypton uses crystals these guys use some sort of like semi-organic pasty black wall stuff, you know, mm. and that's fine. But, but then she, she's looking at it. She's like, Oh, these are, this is some technical information here. I'm not sure I can read it. It's so technical. And it says like, you know, we make a copy and send them to this other planet. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> but that scene with with the with the planets and stuff and with those graphics and stuff, I thought I thought was really good. And and one of the things that I really love about it is it gives that sort of it's accomplishing two things, right? Like it's it's letting him know that where he is and sort of establishing some of the ninth ray nonsense. Mm. But you know, so it's doing work for the plot, but it's also giving them rare character moments. Mm. Um, in fact, one of my objections is, I mean. You know, I don't care that they have wedding rings, you know, <laughs> that they have weddings and, and marriage bands and stuff. But when he proposes marriage, it just comes out of nowhere. I mean, it's yeah. just like, and I know that's got to happen, right? And it's planetary romance. I'm fine with that. But yeah, the, it, it's sort of clear they're hot for each other. But, you know, there's no, it, no, she doesn't even say, like, well, um, you know, I have to marry someone. So, you know, I'd much rather marry you than this jerk. Yeah. Uh, no, it's just like, yeah, I want to get married now. It just seems to come out of nowhere. The thing, I, I would have, if, you know, I, I know I do this a lot, but I would have reversed this, you know, because the end of the film is every, everyone that matters survives, really, you know. And uh, apart from, you know, even, even the, the Wasset, the engineers sort of go away. But uh, her father, Kieran Hines, survives. You know, um, I, I can't remember if Dominic West is, but like, the, what what should happen is that that generation that's been at war should die. So Dominic West, I think I'm not sure if they've been involved in. I can't remember if they've been involved mm. in the future stories, but and her her father, played by Kieran Hines, both die. So then it's like, oh, there's a power vacuum. Deja, you are next in line, but you know that you cannot take the throne or you cannot become the Jadak without without being in a, a relationship and that's where sort of you'd have like james pufroy step up and go and it would be you know it would be i know it's, it's not right but it would be my honor as you know as your yeah. friend and guardian to take that role and she would say no i appreciate the offer but my heart is with john carter and that's where she should then propose to him to form that union that saves the planet because she has to step into that role as a leader as a jadak that's what you know that that's yeah all, that's good that forces good the, stuff. That forces the, the the union. It solves the fact that they, you know that then brings in the Tharks. It brings all the other stuff together, and it stops that really awkward moment of him getting down on one knee, which <laughs> is such a human thing, an Earth thing. What she would be like? What? What, what are you doing? <laughs> That's not how we do things here. Like you know. Yeah, like in terms of the John Carter character, like 
I, I hate, I mean, one thing I really hate is I hate those flashbacks that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I just thought like, oh, okay, all right, we get it, you're Wolverine, you know. Um, <laughs> well, technically he's Gambit, but that's a different story. <laughs> well, or, or he's the saint of killers, right? Because yeah. ba- basically that's, mm-hmm. that's the yeah, yeah. Uh, saint, or yeah, I mean, saint of killers ripped it off maybe. But um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it doesn't seem to me to be very important that he's that traumatized. I mean, really when you f- are introduced to him, he's prospecting for gold and he's following this this legend that only he believes in mm. and all that's important there is that there is a sort of like martian you know or barsoom rune kind of thing on the little piece of gold that he's found which doesn't even make sense how did that gold get out of the cave and nobody's been in that it, it you know none of this really makes sense but it's not like clearly he doesn't have a relationship then but it's not important that he is traumatized it's not really important that he's traumatized on mars so all that stuff i don't i don't need what i love is the idea of him basically not wanting to be part of martian politics mm. and being interested in getting back to jarzum and then by the end wanting to stay and then ironically being sent back to earth mm. and then wanting everything to get back I mean, that's, that's there in the Adam Strange stories. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's an, a, essential to that sort of planetary romance genre. And I love the sort of, you know, I mean, this movie works so well when it is a fish out of water story with him on Mars and then adapting to, you know, I'm basically king. I got this beautiful, you know, princess. Like yeah, yeah. I, I've accomplished everything. Why would I want to go back? Which is, of course, the question we always ask as viewers, right? We're always like, you know, come on, Flash Gordon. You know, when do you want to go back and play football? You know, yeah. what? Uh, so we always ask that here, you know, he's made that progression. That's enough for me as a character arc. And then I find the ending of sort of like, no, I got to get back. I, I wanted that to have more time. I mean, I love that stuff. Um, so I, I, to me, that whole character arc, including the denouement, all of that stuff works. Mm. None of that needs the trauma. No. You're right, and you could have that. I mean, if you wanted this to be just a pure, pulpy adventure, which is what it should be, you know, if you're going to look at... Um, and again, like you say, you mentioned sort of um, Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, that sort of thing. If you, you, if you want him to be Peter Quill, maybe not as as Chris Pratt, uh, you know, element <laughs> of, of Peter Quill, but like that sort of character, you want to have that confidence and charm, you could do that. Um, the thing is, I think, I think I would use, to me, I would use the, um, the trauma more i would lean into it um because this story is basically if you want to do that class thing there's nothing nothing stopping you from updating this story and by that i don't mean transport it to 2012 i mean like play it in the decade it's been set in do all that kind of stuff but transport the themes you know if you want to have that acknowledge that this guy was a confederate soldier he was part of an army he's been through some shit he was part of the army that lost and then he's acknowledged that he joined the cavalry, which is a post sort of war sort of thing, and then left again because of the death of his wife and daughter. 
So this guy's got some real tragedy. Like, he has done some, and I'm, I'm accepting that this guy's done some really crappy things. Like, you know, whenever there's a, 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 a war, you know, we know what's happened in the First World War, but the American Civil War, anything to do with, you know, any sort of like Victorian era war was messy. The weapons were messy. The war was in many times close quarters. It was, you know, people didn't die quick from a rifle bullet in those areas, yeah. right? And if he's been hunting down Indians and stuff as a cavalry, like, you know, which <laughs> that doesn't rest well. And obviously that's the, that's the thing. And then he's lost. Like, I'd be leaning into that and thinking, how could I play that? in modern days right this guy to me is a guy who's done his tours in afghanistan and he's come back and his his fa his family has been destroyed and now he's either been given a second chance to address the 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 war crimes acts of of war that he has committed in the past you know to to redeem himself like instead of hunting the the indigenous population mm -hmm. he's mm -hmm. now going to join them and that's sort of the point, that's clearly the point of the facts. Like, all right, have it that he is redeeming himself for having killed, uh, you know, a bunch of Native Americans. You know, he's done this to the indigenous people. All right, well, now he's going to join forces with the indigenous people of Mars. All right, great. Now how's he going to deal, deal with the civil war between two people over some, some, you know, ancient thing? All right, well, he's not going to take sides anymore. He doesn't want to be involved, but he loves a woman that is. Okay, well, it's the flip, you know, it's the flip of the coin now because before it was a woman that was in love with him that was involved. So like, how, you know, now he understands this woman's commitment and her passion to the her her uh, cause and all this other stuff. Like, I'd be leaning into it massively. It's not the film that Disney wanted to make, <laughs> <laughs> clearly, but that's what I'd be doing. I'd be thinking, okay, this is a guy who's, who's suffering this trauma, who's seen his country torn apart. And, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, forget, again, I'm not even going to forget the engineers because that stuff is balls. But that's what I'd be doing is John Carter is using this scenario. So by the end of it, him becoming the white savior is simply him saying like this, you know, it's like there's mm. the resolution needs to lead into like this makes no sense. You know, I don't want it to be hippy, hippy, happy, happy of like we're all same people. We're all one. We all bleed kind of stuff. I don't know that. But there, there has to be a resolution that they defeat a baddie. There has to be a defeating of a, a villain. Mm -hmm. But in doing so, they have to have that. He has to have that resolution. He has to come to terms with the, the acts that he has committed in the past. That's what I would say John Carter needs to be, at least in the first instance. And I think, you know, that's when you can get on with the, the grand adventure after that. But... Um, yeah, that's what I'd go with it. I'm thinking it's like a HBO Max series more than anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like what you're saying. Um, I, I would say in terms of his trauma, his trauma has two prongs to it, right? Mm. One is sort of the war mm -hmm. and, and one is the dead family. Mm. For me, the dead family does nothing. Mm. Uh, I don't need that. I did think, you know, including when Disney announced this, that... I admired them for keeping the setting and not trying to update it to, mm. to 2012. Um, that I thought that's clearly the right choice. And I don't know that that paid off. I mean, this movie might've done better had they just said, you know, Haha, I'm, a, I'm a 2012, you know, uh, you know, teenager, you know, sent to Barzoom. <laughs> um, you know, it might've, but um, 
yeah, I mean, I'm fine with all the trauma. I like the idea that he is a product of his time. Mm. I like everything that you're saying. It's not even clear to me that the, he is. Uh, do they even make it clear that he's a confederate? I mean, I know that not from... In the fi- not in the film. Yeah. Oh, no, they sort of... They, there's a dropped line that uh, Brian Cranston says at the start oh, yeah. uh, that says he is a uh, he was a hero of the confederate army and he had a confederate... Oh, he right. was awarded a confederate cross or something like, like a medal. And it's literally a drop line and that's it. It's ma- it, There's a much bigger deal of it made in the book. Um, right. And um, almost, almost uncomfortably so, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that stuff does not date super well. <laughs> no. uh, but I mean, I love the, I love the idea of. I mean, to me, what my version of you know, I don't disagree with anything you're saying, except to say that there's nothing about the family dying that's important <laughs> there. And my version of 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 what you're saying is that what I admired about that choice of Disney is that this is not a story about uh, somebody in the present day. This is a story about somebody in this particular time and place who is not, I mean, if you're willing to do all this work to make Martian culture not like us, why are they not willing to do the work to make John Carter not like us? Mm. And maybe that was just a step too far for them. Um, it was like, look, <laughs> we're asking enough of the audience to get them to sympathize with this like old timey Confederate who's like, you know, you mean to say that, that you know, a, a woman speaking, uh, you know, maybe that wouldn't go over so well. But I, I, I do think there's, a, you know, leaning for me, leaning into sort of the, the late 1800s post-Civil War setting uh, is key. Mm. And, and I don't for most of his time on Mars, you know, there's nothing outside of those flashbacks really that he couldn't just be from any time and place. No, I agree with that. And, that, and I think that's sort of part of, uh, yeah, I know what you're saying again with the family thing. Cause I agree. I, I love the fact that they stuck with that. Uh, and I think that decision was supported because of the success of Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, oh, we've done a, we've done a period piece. It's been a success. Clearly, that's why they chose they, clo- they chose the Lone Ranger as well, um, <laughs> which has got its own problem. Again, a film I really enjoy, but is loaded with problems. Um, but I, again, I think like you know, if you wanted to do that, I do think there's a story to tell about because they when the start of the film is literally about how broken he is. Yeah, that's literally the start. The first ten minutes of this film is them saying. I mean, obviously, there's the the preamble and also the although the crap that like you say doesn't really need to take place but the bit of him being sort of like the beardy sort of like you know uh prospector and all that other stuff like is clearly about him being the loner in the wilderness it's like they're trying to show how broken and stuff he is but he's never actually that broken <laughs> right like he, he just sort of gets up and carries on and I, the thing is whilst i enjoy taylor kitsch in parts of this film i don't think he's good enough to convey um the emotion of that loss mm-hmm. um and so when that loss transitions to him willing to accept love from Dejah Thoris like it, it it's just flat it's a bit sort of like oh we've gone from this point to this point instead of we've gone from this point to this point you know there's no transition of emotion um and I, I, I honestly think that's a bit of a mistake like because it's supposed to be it's him that's the that is the moment where he stops becoming 
John Carter of Earth and becomes John Carter of Mars. And that should mean something. And it, it, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't. It's just, oh, he's a, he's, a, he's a hero at the start, he's a hero in the middle, and he's a hero at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there should be more of that transition. And that, that moment where he, he is willing to sacrifice himself for Deja and, and Solar should mean something more than I think it does in the final film. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, what, what I see is more important, at least in, in the film... Uh, you know, as I saw it, was not so much overcoming that trauma as just accepting that he's, you know, like, there's nothing waiting for me back on Earth. Uh, And, you know, the sort of, like, John Carter of Earth, John Carter of Mars thing, which, you know, I mean, if you even know the title of the the series, right, you see coming, and it's kind of like, okay, well, you did that. Um, But that transition is about locating yourself in place and making your peace with um you know yeah i'm not going to go back home and Mm. i'm not going to tell that story of just endlessly questing to go back home that is really interesting um you know to me that is the arc there if there's you know i i don't object to there being trauma i don't i i want there to be more of a sense of setting uh, at least on Earth, but that it seems to me is the heart of that transition, at least in the movie as presented. Right? Mm. I I don't know what, I mean, what he's overcoming uh, in any of these decisions. It seems more like I don't want to get involved, and I am involved, mm. and then no, this is my home, and I think that is a pretty cool transition. Yeah, I see what you're saying, and I accept that. Like I said, there's this thing of like, I have a future here that I don't have at home. Is I suppose is is one way, and that's what that's, that is what the film is presenting. This sort of thing of like, here is something in front of me that I I'm not going to get at home. Um, but there's also that part of like, well, he could have that at home because he's just got to give him open himself up to it. But it's true, like it's there in front of him, like, you know, with Deja and and, and everything else. Um, so yeah, I can see what you're saying. Um, I don't know. I just I just feel like there's more. They could they could have made the character just that bit more complex, a bit more interesting. Um, you would have had to have a better actor to do it, I think. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I agree with that. That that's not just, you know, Telekitch is still fine. Um, again, it's a bit like the ending. You know, to go to that sort of point of the reason he goes back to Earth is. Um, I, I actually really like the sort of the, the book-ended story. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of like the book-endings of this film, that sort of um, Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, as a character, you know, because I can't remember if that's how it's presented in the stories. I can't remember if he's supposed to say, like, this is what happened. Um, but I like that idea that, that you know, uh, this whole thing is a ruse, and at the end of the film, it's sort of he, tr- he wanted it to trick one of the engineers into revealing himself so that they, he could then take that medallion to then return... And he, he set up his own death so that he could then have that protected uh, mausoleum. Uh, and I, I like all that stuff because it works and it's, it, it works well. And it's sort of like, if anything, again, weirdly, that taps into my, my love of Lovecraft. This idea of, you know, um, family lineage and family stuff going on that you're like, now my family is weird, you know, like rats in the walls <laughs> and that sort of thing. Um, 
And so I like all that. The question I have around that is, though, that the engineers, it's clear that they are not fussed about having people killed. Yes. And they are watching. They know where he is. They're stood outside his house. At no point do they just go, do they just appear, uh, you know, next to some angry homeless person on the street and just go, that person's really wealthy. It'd be great if you stabbed him and stole his wallet. <laughs> go. Yeah. You know, like, why are they not trying to kill him? And why have they not killed him? I, I, feel, I always feel like that was a bit of a, like... Yeah. No, I, I, I'm bothered by that, too. I mean, you know, you're my, you know, my comment about like, you know, half of half of movies is like, this could have been solved with a sniper rifle. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, you know, you mean yeah. to tell me you could travel time and space, but you can't find a sniper rifle. Yeah. No, I thought the same thing. And, and also it takes him 10 years to come up with the faking his own death plot. <laughs> I mean, like, I love the 10 years thing of like, I've journeyed the earth trying to find one of these medallions. Like, I actually wanted way more time for that because mm -hmm. I, I thought that, and I, I, and I said at the end, this is a beautiful ending. Uh, I mean, I, I have to say it is, it, is a, it is a literary artsy ending. It gets at that planetary romance. You don't actually see him, spoiler alert, you don't actually see him go back to Mars, but he's doing it, presumably. I mean, they did think they were going to have sequels, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it is just a beautiful, it is a beautiful ending. But I did feel like it needed more time to breathe because I could see the first time through, especially if I were, you know, a general audience person who doesn't necessarily even know the background, doesn't even know mm -hmm. this is based on something. Um, I mean, the Edgar Rice Burroughs thing, I like too. But you need a little more time to kind of like let the audience feel, yeah, we're not going back to Mars, dude. Right, like mm -hmm. this is the denouement. This is the end. You know, we're not going to go back to Mars. The you know, you need to inhabit that space a little and let that stuff breathe. Um, but I love that stuff. Mm. That whole denouement stuff was like, you know, uh, I don't know, a minus for me. You know, I mean, strong stuff. It, it is, and I really enjoy it. Again, it, it's going back to that period piece you know of if this had been set now it wouldn't make any sense and it needs to be set in this period like it really works for that and um you know there are other ways of doing this if you really wanted an entry point well i'll get into that in a minute but the, the, one of the things i'll say is if this was a british film or if you really had a different sense of humor you know he returns back to mars finds that she's moved on it's been 10 years yeah. you know yeah i thought <laughs> about that too <laughs> you know that's a different film um <laughs> But also, like I said, if you wanted an, a, a modern, um, a modern entry point to this, like I like that the the trick, the you know, you said the denouement, the sort of the epilogue where, where he finally finds his way home, and I love the fact he says that, you know, and and, and Edgar says like you know, Ed says, uh, so what's it, what what happens now? He says, well, now I go home, mm -hmm. and and I love that that that's his his thought process is that like after ten years I'm gonna get to return. Uh, and I, I do like that. But if you wanted, you could have added more to this of Edgar's, Edgar doesn't need to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, you could still tell this story in flashback and you could have had a modern, a descendant of the Carter family. And, you know, um, you inherit this piece of land. It has this little building on it. You don't touch it. You don't do anything with it but you are there to protect it. You have to maintain it. And that's what you, you know, you get this money and this allowance and you have to protect and look after this building. And that's all we're asking. 
and someone then you know i'm not saying this has to be a big story but like but here's the paperwork that goes with it you do not share this but you need to know this and that's the sort of you know have someone modern day maybe reading it could be a, a an entry point for more modern audiences oh, you know, yeah of, yeah you know as you were in, saying someone in britain or even america like someone in, an american because he is american so an american is given inherits this land and they're like yeah they've got this weird little clause for you to inherit this <laughs> this you know this not vast fortune but you get this money um for whatever from you know carter industries you know sort of thing i don't know i just think you know it's Having everything set back there is good, but to me, I think they could have it had, knowing what audiences are like, you could have had that where, uh, even having played by Taylor Kitsch with a bit of, you know, made him look like a descendant, I don't know, something, but I don't know, what do you think? So I, I, I like the idea, what would that person find, right? I mean, they, they're investigating the house. I mean, how do you get into the John Carter story? I, I, I mean, I love the setting, right? I mean, it's you're just, right yeah. that that's well, the smart. It, it would be route. the same as what, because all Edgar finds is a diary. I mean, he gets given a diary, doesn't he? With it opens with the same thing of, of you know, Ned. I remember mm. bouncing on my knee when you were a kid, and I used to tell you these wild stories, and now I'm going to tell you this one. And that's because the whole book is the whole film is is technically is Ned or Edgar Rice Burroughs reading. Um, right. it, John Carter's diary, his his recount of what has happened, that is that is the, what the film is really. So it's a flashback in a flashback, and um, so that that is that is what you're getting. And um, there's no point, there's no reason that you couldn't say that. Like you know, I'm thinking someone gets brought in, they've read a will or they've read something, you've inherited this money, and then they get led to a room and there's a desk, and on the desk is a really old book. And they're saying like, you haven't got to believe this, but this is the this is how it. You want this money? This is what you're gonna do, and you've got to read this cover to cover before you leave. Yeah. And then the, the the ending is them stood, um, you know, and it's it, it's that thing of um, they're always looking. You know, these engineers. If you want to keep the engineers in, because I suppose it acts as a a gateway to getting back to Mars. They're always looking, they're always on the lookout. And, he, you know, you end the film with your modern entry point character looking around and seeing Mark Strong's character stood on a corner. You know, okay. just, I don't know. It's, it, I probably need more time to think of it out. But yeah, I, I think. Yeah, but I mean, you know, the problem is if, if we keep John Carter, you know, in, in the time in the 1800s, then he's dead. Right. I mean. Well, is he? Never, you don't know that. It's well, I mean, what's, you know, what's, Martian, been... what's Martian technology? <laughs> well, you know, he's the uh, now he's the old guard. He's the ancient king. You know, yeah. with a long beard on the on the Martian throne. Uh, you know, like, they're the like, next like, generation. Like, yeah, like King Conan or something like that. I mean, you don't know what what's a, what's a Martian year. You know, what is a the Martian solar well, cycle? It's so. it's almost twice ours. Um, it's one point eight something. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I mean, there is a, like, I don't know that this is like, your idea is a better version of this movie, mm. but there is an updating of this mm. that is, that, of John Carter that is totally possible, which mm. is like, you know, it's like James Bond Jr., right? I mean, yes. John Carter's <laughs> successor who inherits the house and, you know, reads the diary, whatever, you know, 
and finds, uh, you know, eventually comes across, you know, proof, right? Mm. And then finds some some transporter and is like, oh, yeah, John Carter's still alive. He's just like the really old king. And now, and Deja Thoris is, you know, the old queen. And they're just like, you know, they don't really, maybe they don't have kids or they have a kid, but he's a bad guy now. And, mm. you know, his descendant, you know, the next generation, like, I mean, I love what you said about making this a generational story. It's it's John Carter in the next generation, you know, mm. as his kid. And that's how you said it in, you know, 2012 or 2020. Because, yeah, because that was the idea that crossed my mind. This film, when it's set, because, you know, Edgar Rice Burroughs as a young man takes on the responsibility of that tomb, that mausoleum. But what happens when he passes on? Like, did he pass mm-hmm. it on to, like, you know, if they kept this manor house in the Burroughs family and is it there still you know that, I mean that's what it'd be it would be a descendant of Edgar Rice Burroughs I suppose rather than John Carter but like what happens if someone's like nah I'm alright I'm going to sell it off for development I'm going to bulldoze the lot <laughs> like, does he disappear on Mars like you know what's life expectancy supposed to be like you know is is it a bit like um, I'm thinking Line the Witch in the Wardrobe mm-hmm you know, which I know is a fantasy right, right, right. thing, but like you know, they live the 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 boy the, the children live a lifetime, don't they? Um, becoming the rulers of Narnia, and then but when it's all over, and they find the door back at the end of um, that first book, they go back through, and they're they're back to being children again. Right. You know, and so you know, there's there's ways in if you're going to have the heart of Barsoom be the way that you're able to sort of listen and and, and talk to some Martians. Yeah. I'm quite comfortable with technology that's, that extends your lifetime for decades. Um, yeah, again, they're breathing air, right? Yeah. Just, you know, just set up your premises early on. Foreground, that's, you know, the rule is just get that stuff out as early as possible. Yeah. So you're not in, you know, it's not like we're two thirds the way and they're like, oh, did we mention we have this formula that lets you live forever? No, no, no. That's that thing that we remember from the beginning. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, can't hit it too bad. Yeah. I, I just think that, the, the, you know, keep John Carter in his pit time period. The, 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 the longer you move away from that time period, the harder it is to keep in that time period. I think that's the other thing. But I do think there's a definite updating of this. Well, you say there's an updating has happened. I think the, the updating has happened numerous times. Yeah. Um, you know, everything from, as you said, Adam Strange, Book Rogers, uh, Flash Gordon, all the way through to like Farscape. Um, you know, a- anything where human character is jettisoned into another time and space and then has to sort of adapt and, and becomes a sort of a warrior of some kind in that place. Um, all all harkens back to sort of John Carter, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I think that, you know, uh, John Carter has been tremendously influential. And, you know, the sad thing is that when are we ever going to get another John Carter movie, right? I mean, <laughs> I can see it happening on, like you said, you know, maybe a cable channel, right? Um you know, it, it might be a Deja Thor's movie, right? Based mm. on the fact that her comics sell better. Um, I could see some some animated production and I could see it doing better than this, you know? Mm. Um, in, in terms of having more space, 
on the other hand, it could be, you know, some Netflix thing that's kind of like the the new Lost in Space where you're like, yeah, see the money, <laughs> see what you're doing, yeah. not what I wanted. Don't get why you spend it on this. Yeah. It could be. I mean, they say, the, the thing is, you know, some of the things that have been incredibly successful accept and um, embrace some of the things about the source material that worked for the source material. You know, when, when we talked about um, Invaders, uh, Mars Attacks, mm-hmm. you know, which is how would you continue it? And we, we talked about doing di- varying length animated, different variations of animated yeah. shorts, that sort of thing. Like, that works because it sort of fits with that card thing. You know, John Carter is a pulp novel. Like every every chapter ends on a cliffhanger. Like, you know, you know, you know, same bat come back, same bat time, same bat channel sort of thing. Like maybe you're right, maybe a film was the wrong way to go. And that an animated series where you can tap into that uh, that pulpy tone of um, you know, each episode ends on a bit of a cliffhanger of all characters left in serious danger and or mm-hmm. a, a new reveal, and then you come back for the next episode, and you do serialize the novel over a sort of a, a, a period of animation. Like you know, I can I can see that working on Disney Plus. I can see Disney. I mean, they don't own the rights anymore, mm-hmm. but I could imagine like Disney Plus or Netflix picking up and doing that and it working quite well. Well, I do think that it's high time we brought back you know the live action serial. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am such a fan, you know, obviously there were horrible serial cliffhangers, right? I mean, you know, how many stories do you see the guy fall and then the next, the next installment is like, no, fell one story and grabbed the, the ledge. You know, they're horrible. But, um, but I love the cliffhanger. And mm. I often, uh, you know, having written unproduced television scripts, one of the things that, that I always feel instinctively is outside of something like you know better call Saul or or Mad Men that is you know know, much more literary and subtle Mm. I feel like every every commercial break right when you go to a commercial you have there has got to be some if not a cliffhanger some line that's delivered like you know well then we're really screwed you know I mean there's got to be some sort of stakes going into that commercial Mm. and it is amazing how that sounds so paint by numbers. That sounds so formulaic, but it is amazing how easy it is if you do it right to keep audiences, you know, you feel that, I feel that, just being on the edge of my seat, just like, whoa, like, you know, what's gonna happen in two minutes when these yeah. commercials are done? I can't yeah. wait for this to come back on, you know? Um, and I think that it is high time that we brought back you know, a sense of that, that swashbuckling adventure. Where, mm. and, and I don't mean, you know, I don't mean this sort of, you know, comics gay, take your politics out of it. I just mean a real, you know, do all of that that you want. I'm not a regressive <laughs> guy, but I do think that there's room for sort of swashbuckling adventure and cliffhangers and, you know, doing it episodically. Uh, uh, yeah. Think, to me, everything you're describing there, I love, I love the idea of doing it because it harkens back to me to when I first watched Doctor Who. So I was introduced to Doctor Who in the mid eighties and I caught sort of the end of the sort of the, I think the sort of the Peter Davison years. And but to me, like um, my first doctor was the seventh doctor, uh, Sylvester McCoy, you know, that mm-hmm. sort of, I'm, I'm both aging myself and, uh, <laughs> 
and youth in myself too. But um, that the seventh doctor was my doctor, like you know, and, and I know he gets a bad rap for, for a number of reasons. I just I, I still enjoy Sylvester McCoy, doctor. but that what you've said there, right, was what mattered to me. I can still remember, and I've got all the you know, now I've got my DVD and stuff, but. I remember watching those episodes and some of the, the hooks are better than others. Those, those cliffhangers, but there'd be something where, you know, all of a sudden episode one, you've got something going on and all of a sudden there'd be, there'd be a reveal like, you know, wait a minute. He's not human. He's a Cyberman. No, you son of a, and you have to wait for a week then to find out well, what's the doctor going to do now? Or, you know, they, they go into a room and all of a sudden tss, the door goes down and they're like, <gasps> We're trapped, and the gas canister, you know, gas comes out, and it's like, ooh, and you're like, oh, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the yeah. music is in. that. That was what you like for a week, then, because you're off to school, and like, my God, I, what are they going to do? How does this, you know, like, say it was? There's no. You still get some of that from. I know people watch like you know uh, Game of Th- when they watch like Game of Thrones or or some other sort of similar things where there was that like you know the Red Wedding or mm-hmm. whatever the thing may be where there was that cliffhanger moment um, or there was a, a reveal, there was some moment, but episodes seem to try to resolve to a level now where the story continues, but the events of that thing can, you know, right. are done, you know, and, and I, I do, I do miss that sort of thing, but, you know, um, I think it's coming back and stream. I think the reason is because streamers, they want you to continue watching because you can quite yeah. easily go, don't care move on i'll watch something else and i don't know if you've watched the boys or no um, i have not yet okay the boys is amazing firstly uh uh, carl urban when we will be talking about carl urban in the next episode is is excellent as as billy butcher but it does it in the writers the and when they did preacher as well so when, when amazon seems to have got this you get to an episode and what they had to they have they either give you um they give you that cliffhanger. It could be that people are left in danger or this other's a big reveal, or it can be an absolute kick in the nuts where you are literally left and you're like, what? No, <laughs> Wait, what? I've got to watch the next. You literally just flow into the next one yeah. because you've yeah. got to know what's going on. And it's, it is coming back to an extent because I, I well, think cause streamers need it. But you're right. I'd love to see it done properly with something like Carter. And, you know, I, I, I like what you're saying. Um, I, I, Preacher was AMC, um, you know, because I watched it live. But one of the things that, that I would say is I think you're right, especially for the streaming model. My problem is that I, I think that the cliffhanger, you're talking about cliffhangers that come at the end of a 45-minute episode, right? Mm. And, and there are lots of sort of, you know, eddies and weird digressions over the course of those 45 minutes. And it's nice that there's room for that. But what I'm, what I'm saying is that I, I sort of, sometimes I feel sort of ripped off at a 45 minute episode that it's like, okay, now you end on a cliffhanger. I just yeah. watched guys drive around town for 30 minutes, <laughs> you know, uh, you couldn't have done this 20 minutes earlier. Um, so I, I what I was thinking is, so my experience was, because I, I didn't have the BBC, my experience was like uh, watching Star Trek, mm. where you ha- you would have, you know, four in the old days, and, and, you know, you have a teaser. I love the teaser, you know, you cut to the, the titles. By the time you cut to the titles, you should be like, WTF, right? Like, oh my God, 
this is an amazing setup. You've just got an awesome setup in two minutes, right? Then you go through the titles, then you have five acts. That means you've got four cliffhangers or at least four mm. dramatic moments. And that propels you forward. And each of those acts, you're talking about eight minutes, you know, something on that order. So for me, that's been my experience. And I think when you watch that stuff on streaming, it's not the same because you kind of get this nice little moment of drama. But if you watch those old Star Trek shows, it's always like, oh, okay, a guy is about to fight Kirk, you know, mm -hmm. just like Dex Kirk, you know, or so many of those shows have, you know, oh, Kirk's just died, right? Yeah. And they kill him off every three episodes. And then, of course, it's all a ruse and you figure, but man, that is dramatic. And mm. I just love it. So to, to what me, I would like is, is the episodic, if you're going to do it on streaming, those episodes cannot be longer than 15 minutes for me. Mm. Because I want that, you, you got to get that forward momentum of just that. Maybe, maybe that's what you do. I mean, you know, Quibi was trying to do that. That didn't work out. Yeah. But um, <laughs> what, what, you, what you described there with Trek, I remember with the X-Files. Mm -hmm. That X Files cold open was 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 earth shattering to me when I was a kid. So they came out in '93. So I was up into my early teens. I was 12, 13 when I first started watching X Files. And and obviously, you know, you never really got the cold open with Doctor Who. All the British British TV had never done the cold open because our t our commercial model is different. It's like commercials, 50, 12, 50 minutes commercial. Yeah. you end you start the next show but you know it's literally just those blocks but the american model obviously you have a cold open in the credits well no some when i was in jersey it was cold open credits uh, commercials credits commercials like there were times when it was like yeah they really pushed yeah. the boat out but that that cold open was the reason you stayed isn't it that yeah that's the american one. and so those cold openers on the x-files like blew my mind when i started watching those on uh, late night on the bbc and the show starts and you see something. I'm like, what? Wait a minute. You're, you're giving me something this early? That's amazing. Oh, yeah. Come on, get to the crates. Get to the crates. I want to see what's going on. Yeah, yeah that was that was a, a real sort of um, eye-opener to me um, as, as a sort of introduction to that way of TV. So I agree with you because that, those episodes are exactly the same. Something would happen to Mulder or Scully or a principal character or there'd be a reveal, you know, like say, yeah, like Scully would be kidnapped or, you know, you think Mulder's been shot or an alien or the monster is about to be revealed or whatever. And then you cut to the next bit and, and that sort of thing. So I, I see what you're saying. And I mean, do you, do you think it could work with something like John Carter? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, and I think, you know, John Carter is, is sort of perfect for that because you know i think it works best in that in that serial format i think it mm -hmm. works best like it's an adventure yarn mm. let it be an adventure yarn you know um let it be you know i mean it's fun let it be fun mm. you know you can still do all of the artsy stuff you can still do all of that character development but yeah, I mean, it, it's that joy. So much of it is the joy of the planetary romance, right? I mean, it's the joy of the fish out of water and an adventure on Mars. And I mean, that's so much of the essence of what this is. And I think when you, you know, there's only so much you can stretch that, right? I mean, if you, mm. if you turn John Carter into a subtle environmental commentary, it's probably not going to work, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, 
so yeah, I mean, you can keep the you know commentary on Native Americans, yeah. but you know it, it's it's subtext, right? Mm-hmm. And the primary thing is that serialized adventure. I would love to see it. Just you know, the groundwork for the uh, the subtle uh, e- ecological message was also laid in the 2012 one because they do talk about the lack of water and the fact yeah. that the war has partially caused that. So I was like, well, that, that's going to come up again. That was pl- seriously going to come up in a later film. Um, I see what you're saying because I'm mean, you're harkening back to well, exactly those serials and sort of like you know the cinema serials weren't aren't really those sort of things of every Saturday you'd have the Flash Gordon serials the, the things that. Tr- that how ironic that they come round. I mean, those were inspired by the, mm-hmm. ser- the, the series of the sort of the, the these things of the, the book, the pulp novels, the serialization inspired the serialization in the cinema, which inspired Star Wars, you know, and, and then that goes round to inspire this film. It's a, it's a, you know, the snake is endlessly eating its tail. <laughs> um, and you're right. I think you could, you could definitely have, if you got, and again, I think if you had the right, if you do it live action, if you had the right actor, someone with the right charisma and that right charm to do that, you could do that, you know, and, and I think people would really buy into it. I think that's a big part of it, though. Like you have to have the right person yeah, to, to play John Carter and Dejah Thoris and that sort of thing to do all that. Um, but I, I, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, yeah, that'd be really cool to watch, actually. You know, sort <laughs> of... Um, you know, while well, you're making dinner or doing, oh, I'll just have you John Carter play. Oh, I'll, quickly, I'll quickly catch 15 minutes of the, the next episode. <laughs> um, yeah, it could be done. And, uh, you know, I think they, they, they're doing stuff like this now. I think it's where we get back to this sort of, um, with streaming services, you can do all this stuff now. You know, there's no, there's no limitations on the things you can do, um, whether it be long form or short form. So, yeah, I think it's extremely possible. Yeah, and I, w- I would love to see it. And I think you're right that I mean, we barely scratched the surface of what what's ultimately streaming is going to allow us mm. to do and, and what it's going to produce in terms of novel forms of uh, structure. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think there's sort of, I mean, there is a weight on this film that, mm. I mean, this was a $250 million movie yeah. in 2012. <laughs> For, you know, also, can, can we just say, like, how the hell did you throw $250 million at John <laughs> Carter, right? Like, John Carter's cool, but, like, this is not a proven franchise, right? That was the same. Disney, uh, it was Bob Iger, wasn't it, still was in charge at the time. I think so. Like, he must have been snorting something special because he was like, John Carter, <laughs> yeah, you go do, Lone Ranger with Johnny Depp? <laughs> do it. I'm up for that. Like, there was some weird stuff was being greenlit at the time that you look back and go what were they thinking well you know so if if my theory and and what i hear holds up that basically we have uh john carter to thank for marvel studios and for star wars we have a sequel trilogy to star wars because of john carter And, and essentially john carter uh tron legacy both big budget and to a lesser extent Lone Ranger. The failure of, I mean, when you're through half a billion dollars <laughs> you know, into production and you get box office results like this, it was like, okay, we just spent half a billion and that's out the door. Let's throw five billion and get started mm-hmm. the real thing, right? 
Um, so then they, they got, you know, Star Wars and, and Marvel. And boy, those have turned into the kinds of powerhouses that these movies failed to be. So in a weird way, we may have the failure of John Carter to thank for uh, sort of the, the, certainly the Star Wars renaissance. Mm. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't thought about it. Yeah, but it's true. I mean, for, for, for whatever it's worth, like, you know, whatever you think about the, the sequel trilogy and, uh, you know, at least we're getting the Mandalorian out of it, which I do like. Um, mm. But yeah, no, that's really interesting. Yeah, but it's interesting that, that, like you say, they went big, and I appreciate that they did. And the thing I appreciate about all three of those films, and one day we will have to do Tron Legacy because um, it's, it's it's I haven't seen it for years, um, is that they did go big, and I appreciate that that there was a sort of like we are going to throw everything into this, and then I think one of the problems with all three of the films that we've just mentioned, you know, sort of um, John Carter, Lone Ranger, Tron Legacy is, they made the films and they are very unique and very, very sort of specific. And they then went, how, how do we sell these films? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who the audience is for this. So John Carter of Mars, like I said, it was, it was called Princess of Mars. Oh, we can't call it that. Who's the type of character? John Carter. Right. So John Carter of Mars. Yeah, but Mars movies fail. So it's called John Carter. Yeah. But that means what's nothing. the hook there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, <laughs> like it, was, it, it means Bob nothing. Cratchit. <laughs> you yeah, know. yeah. It could just be called Get Carter, you know. And it's sort of right. uh, then it's a, it's a, <laughs> um, and the same with the Lone Ranger. You sort of like you go, oh, Lone Ranger. Okay, so everyone, you know, westerns are they successful? Not really. Okay, well, but pirate films weren't successful. So let's go down that avenue. Who was the biggest star of the pirate films? Johnny Depp. All right, how can we get Johnny Depp in? We're going to get him to play a Native American. <laughs> <laughs> no point did anyone sort of stop and say that feels like we do you do know we've got indigenous people that are actors like we can <laughs> i've got a whole load of them i can call up that are very good and would probably be excellent for this role no 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 we've got to get johnny depp in so you don't want him as the lone ranger no he's too old for that but you know we've, we've already given that to army hammer who was very good in the film and, I'm, and then watch even when i watch it now because I enjoy the film. I think it's got a fantastic uh, uh, third act and uses William Till Overshaw wonderfully uh, as a great score as well. But every time Johnny Depp's in that film, I'm sort of like, I can't, I can't with this film. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, and then the same with Tron Legacy. Like they make this incredibly bizarre follow-up uh, to Tron with uh, you know the, the the aging technology. You have Daft Punk doing the music. Oh, you God, have all this other yeah. stuff. Like, and then they're like. Who, so who liked the first film? Uh, people in the 80s, right. So we're going to sell it to them. No, 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 no. We're going to sell it to the youth of today. Okay. So how are you going to sell it? Oh, we're going to sell it based on the fact that it's a sequel to the film from the 80s. <laughs> Did, has anyone watched that? No, probably not. And it's sort of like... The, and it's filled with daft ideas. Yeah. And, you know, like, <laughs> like try, telling a, try telling a kid in, you know, 2012, like, oh, yeah, he went into the computer in in 1982 or whatever it was yeah. you know yeah really you you know they didn't have you know on dial up did he did he use an aol disc <laughs> to get into the computer is that what they did <laughs> uh, the, one of the things i always uh okay so there you go bracket ralph so tron legacy came out two years between before wreck it ralph and Wreck It, Wreck it Ralph made more money, pretty oh, much yeah. with the same concept. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and 
and you know, both, you know, what is amazing about those three films, and I, I think it's true about John Carter too, is you see where the money went. Mm. Like, I mean, these are beautiful movies. The design, I mean, I think Tron Legacy just, you could watch it with no dialogue and just the, mm. the Daft Punk stuff. And other than that, no sound. Maybe, you know, the sound effects or whatever. No dialogue whatsoever. Probably be a better movie. I mean, and it, would, and it would be like the most beautiful, artsy, insane movie you've ever seen. It would be like such an ambitious, wonderful sci-fi movie. The design in John Carter is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, some of the talent that you're using, I mean, the motion capture, the, you know, I mean, those, those Tharks with the way they're, you know, they're spindly little faces and mm. those tusks and every tusk is unique. They don't just come out of this. They, they have that organic, like misshapen thing you see in actual animals. And there's so much just love and time and money put into this. And you know, all of these were like shots at a billion dollar movie. Mm-hmm. And all of these had plans for sequels that, you know, that I regret that we'll never see. Um, but I mean, these were these were ambitious, ambitious movies. The thing is, I think it's one of those things where, and again, I, I, I do really enjoy. We've picked it apart, but I do love John Carter. I think it's a good film. It's a good fun film. And I, again, I love the Lone Ranger film for all of its really sort of like you know tone deaf moments and stuff in it. Uh, and I need to go back and watch Tron Legacy. But I think they like say if I was if I'm at the head if I'm one of these executives at Disney and I'm looking at this situation, I can see that what they're looking at, they are looking at things. They're going Avatar came out. No, it's a non-IP. It was a, it was a new film. You know, it had this 3D technology, whatever, but it made over a billion. So look at that. That happened. Mm-hmm. You've got Pirates of the Caribbean. You've got uh, Iron Man has come out and done and done things. You know, they've you know out of nowhere. No one thought he was going to make it. So all of a sudden, you know, Captain America, probably less so, Converse Avenger, but everyone was looking at Iron Man. Okay, well, they're sort of lesser known properties. All of a sudden, people are buying into it because they want big films. These films should have worked. Yes. Yep. That's the thing. If, if I was at Disney, I'd be going, yeah, no, definitely. They make sense like, to, a, to a degree. Maybe not casting Johnny Depp, I don't know. But, like, <laughs> but this, yeah. especially John Carter, there's a film here that would have made a, mil- a billion dollars. Well, and it does not make sense that the Marvel movies did well. Mm. Um, you know, Marvel Studios exist because Fantastic Four did well and because yeah. Ghost Rider did well. I mean, Fantastic Four, it, you know, I mean, it was like 300-something million in the U.S., but, I mean, that was at that time a bona fide hit. Mm. And all Marvel was trying to do was, I mean, and the whole point was if you can get that kind of money out of the fantastic F and four, mm-hmm. you surely can get it out of B list guys that nobody gives a shit about yeah. like Iron Man. Cause nobody, nobody gave a shit about mm-hmm. Iron Man. Nobody gave a shit about Captain America. So the whole point was not to produce uh, these big, awesome movies. The point was to produce fantastic fours. Mm-hmm. That was all they were shooting for. And they overshot. I mean, they made the first ones actually solid, but you know, that was the goal. Mm. So it's not just Iron Man, right? It's like Fantastic Four did well. Ghost Rider got a sequel. I mean, Mm -hmm. the Ben Affleck Daredevil got a spinoff, you know? I mean, you know, you could, all of this junk just did really, really well in those years. Mm. And this is way better than all that stuff. Mm. I mean, this is better than 
you know, John Carter's better than, you know, at least half easily of that first act of, of Marvel movies. Yeah. Uh, and that's probably the best act. Um, why did these movies fail? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. They're just, I think they didn't have that. Um, part of it is that kind of like dumb uh, Chris Pratt Guardians thing where it's like, pow, zoom, mm. you know, I'm, I'm kicking some rodents here, you know, uh, cue the music track. And it's just like, oh, that looks like an easy, fun time at the movie theater. That's, that's the one thing, you know, one, one thing we'll wrap up in a moment really, with our final thoughts. But the thing is, this film, this film has the, the, the sidekick dog who, again, I quite enjoy. He's really funny. I think he's, he's kind of cute in a sort of ugly kind of way. He's, he's played really well. This One of the things that sort of struck a chord and I think won over a lot of people was a charming main character. You need to have a charming leading man or leading woman. Let's say leading man, because let's be honest, <laughs> that's how it works. But like you say, um, you know, Johnny Depp as, as Jack Sparrow is the Pirates of the franchise. That's, you know, yeah. it's not Orlando Bloom. It's not Kira Knightley. It's not Jeffrey Rush. It's, it's Johnny Depp. And then the same with Iron Man. Iron Man works because everyone tapped into Robert Downey Jr. Like he's the bad boy who made good. You know, like it has a real life narrative. Yeah. And actually he's very good in that film. You know, he, he taps into things. He's and a brilliant it, actor. Yeah, he did a great and he does a great job in it. And I think whenever you look at those films that did really well, there's a central there's a central performance and central actor that brings something to life. And the thing I keep coming back to with this is it's not got that. Taylor Kitsch is fine for what he is, but he isn't he isn't he, he doesn't have the charisma and the charm that is needed to do what those things were if you'd have had um i don't know i can't think of anyone you know maybe like a i can't i don't know if i'd recast them as but like if you had someone like that a, a depp or a, a, a downey jr or someone in this role this film would have made a bunch more money yeah yeah i agree and and there are movies you know, in the defense of this decision by Disney, I mean, there are movies like, I mean, I don't think, honestly, I mean, is is uh, Captain America or Thor? I mean, come on, you know, Chris Hemsworth is fine, but I mean, he he's not that guy, okay? No. I mean, he is more in Ragnarok, but I mean, the first two are abysmal and there's no charisma inside mm. by anyone. Um, you know, and they did fine, you know? I mean, but again, you know, they were shooting for Fantastic Four numbers. Those movies didn't cost two fifty to make. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Disney really went all. I mean, there's another there's another point here, which is, and I know we need to wrap up, but there's another point here, which is um, the overinflated budgets of these yes. movies these days. If you bring in John Carter at fifty million, God forbid. Move fifty million for a blockbuster, right? You know, or even seventy-five. You bring it in in that range, you get the you know good enough CGI, and you maybe you have a little more character moments. Then, then what you have to make? I mean, if that's a seventy-five million dollar movie, you have to make what? Uh, you know, two twenty-five at the box office to break yeah. even. 
you know, if it's a 250 million, you're literally banking, you're going to make three quarters of a billion dollars or else it's a flop and it won't, you know, there's no point getting a sequel. Yeah. Um, that's setting yourself up for failure. And we have to make space for more sort of middle of the road films that can come in at a, a reasonable budget. Uh, it seems like we've kind of crowded that out and everything is either big budget Marvel stuff or, you know, well, low budget art hun- stuff. hundred million is your, for me, is your banner mark. Mm-hmm. If you're over a hundred million, then you've got to have some clout to really pull something in. Anything below a hundred million, you can probably do that middle of the road sort of money and you're going to be fine. I mean, the, the, the big elephant in the room with all this is Deadpool. Yeah. If you think about, you know, Deadpool was done, the first Deadpool was done for 65 million and, you know, is, is brought in because of whatever you think of that film, whether you love it or hate it or, you know, indifferent, that film made an absolute bank because of Ryan Reynolds and the fact that because it had low budget, it had to find interesting ways of doing things. And so it was like, do you know what? Let's throw the ball back out the window and we're going to do it this way. If it fails, do you know what? We made a Deadpool movie. <laughs> that, that, right, know, that and what, are, what are we out? 60 million? I mean, you know. Yeah, it was, it was easily going to make its money back, but was it going to make, was it going to make a, a huge profit? If it does, right. awesome. If it doesn't, do you know what? And that was why when you look at sort of um, with Deadpool, to use it as a comparison, it's 65 million for its first budget. They were able to do one of the most bizarre marketing campaigns ever because mm-hmm. the general public didn't know who Deadpool was. We did. We geeks knew who Deadpool was. We'd seen him in animation and stuff for ages. All of a sudden, this weird character starts turning up in marketing and doing sort of like online viral videos, <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden yeah. people are like, what? What's this? You couldn't do that in any if you If you had, 250 million to 500 million with marketing on, on the line. You couldn't do that. You'd mm-hmm. have someone scrutinizing everything. What's the poster? Oh, yeah. What's the title? Who's what news platform are they on? Everything. And that's the problem. I think, I think post COVID we're going to go back to that though. Yeah, so. no, I, I agree. I mean, it does not make sense to make these $250 million films anymore because mm-hmm. if you can't get them released in theaters and we're going to, you know, I mean, we're recording this in, uh november uh of 2020 uh this is going to go on for at least another year Mm -hmm. uh you know the buzz is you know could be too um yeah hollywood's done we're done it just it just does not make sense to do that 250 million dollar film and i think that's probably good Mm. um you know the reality is i could do with a little less glitzy glossy uh cg and a little less uh test marketed uh scripts i mean this could have been a better movie at 100 million than at 250 yeah. and maybe some of those details that you and i love were a little duller or they sacrificed one of those scenes which we admitted they could have done without anyway mm-hmm. um but it probably would have been a little slower pace, a little more character development. Maybe you've got to trim those engineers anyway, uh, just to get down on your special effects costs. I, I, I think that's the point. And I think we are going to get there. I think, you know, we have, we have got a backlog of blockbusters, you know, everything mm-hmm. from James Bond to Wonder Woman to June. We've got a whole bunch of things sat there waiting to be released that may wait years. <laughs> 
Um, and, you know, it may be that that's the, this, this no time to die may be the last bond that we get for a decade. You know, well, that may not maybe. be a bad thing. But I, I mean, I, I, I think, you, you know, an awesome Bond movie could be made for 25 million if you really mm-hmm. wanted to. I mean, you get a great script. You don't need that many special effects. You don't need that many exploding cars flying off of a roof, you know, to do a good spy movie. Uh, you need great actors. Yeah. You know, you need a good director. I mean, take it, take it back to basics. I mean, uh, you, you and I. We'll be talking about a film that does this very, very soon, but you and I have, have, have lauded this in the past. Like, you know, tell a good small story. It hasn't, not, this, the world doesn't have to be at stake every time, you know, sort of. Um, they can be fantastic. Um, well, and not to belabor the point, but I think that one of the things that the money does is it makes people think about how do we make this scene spectacular? and feel spectacular and feel like you've got to go to the theater if you want to see this scene because it's so filled with the money shots of the fights and, and everything. Instead of saying, what is the heart of this movie? Mm. The heart of this movie is a guy from Earth uh, teleported to Mars, having an adventure and being a fish out of water. Um, you know, that's the heart of that movie. Every scene in that movie should relate to that point. Yeah. That is your through line. It's a, and we lose that in so many of these big budget movies where it's less about, all right, what is the heart of this movie? Every scene's got to be connected to that. And it becomes more, how do we justify this expense? How do we make people leave this theater and say, you've got to see this because I've never seen anything like this on the screen. I agree. And I think that's sort of where we've got to get to. And hopefully... You know, maybe even that's what we we will do in the next season of, of, of stories in time and space. We'll bring it, but maybe we'll focus on some of those because like, we've done some blockbusters in this series. Let's, maybe we'll bring it down and do some of the smaller stories. I think you know because some of the ones we have really focused mm-hmm. on the one that really uh, Primer we, we talked about in the first season was like probably the lowest budget film we will ever get to talk about, and <laughs> yeah. it caused it caused some of the biggest conversations. So you know, it's it's that sort of thing that you've got to think about. Anyway, let's let's pull into the wrap this up. So, so you know, Julian, what are your final thoughts then on 2012's John Carter? Um, it's not one of my favorite movies. I think it's got significant flaws. Having said that, it is criminally maligned, mm. and I think the buzz on it is just yeah, that's a piece of you know crap, and you know it is way better than a lot of stuff that people <laughs> love. And uh, if you can get into um, you know, a, a, a Thor movie, I guarantee you, you can get into this. And there's no reason why you can't. Yeah. Uh, that just doesn't make sense to me. Um, and I love planetary romance. So for me, it's kind of a must-see for that. This is a sort of subgenre of sci-fi that isn't done much anymore for some good reasons, uh, you know, about uh, class and race, uh, but also uh, for some bad reasons. Uh, it's, it's, it's awesome to see it. What about you? I agree. I, I do think, you know, we have sort of picked fault with it and we've taken the, the mick out of it a little bit, but I love this film. I really do enjoy it. It is a good just adventure. And I think it is uh, misunderstood and, and, and sort of, as you sort of said, it's just underrated. And I think people have, through either word of mouth or just reputation, have sort of given it that thing of like, oh, it's a piece of crap, so let's forget about it. But 
just you know, it's available. It's out there. Go try it out. It is t- just over two hours, but like, if you're liking the, you know, look, if you like the um, Pirates of the Caribbean, or if you like Guardians of the Galaxy, though, if you want some sort of some space adventure, like, give it a try. It's really good fun. It looks fantastic. It looks spectacular, and you know, I just I just have a feeling that one day this film is going to get revisited in time and people are going to go back and go, oh, do you remember that John Carter film? It's actually pretty good. You know, I think there'll be a, a generation that might find this, but it's on Disney plus it's, it's that out there. Just go find it, you know, watch it. I think, so I think this is a, a film that does need to be seen and, and um, it, it, it should have a wider appreciation and a wider audience. Yeah. Agreed. Anyway, so there we are. That's John Carter. 2012's John Carter. Does say go check it out. Uh, but if you want to check out what we're doing, uh, find us online at pod time space on twitter uh, but more than that as you can see you know if you're listening to this if we're coming at you in your ears don't forget that you can see our lovely uh, faces uh, on youtube if you go to the 20th century geek uh, uh, youtube channel there is a playlist on there called stories out of time and space and all the videos from season two are on there yes they're long but i'll tell you what if you're willing, if you, if you know, if you listen to this point, go check them out just to see what we like and what our discussions are like. They're unedited. They're all there. This is the full discussion. So uh, go check that and give us a comment. Give us a like. Plus you get to see us gesture and like, you know, yeah. move and our hands around and act out having tusks and jump. Yeah. <laughs> it is so, yeah, you can hear us, but seeing us and sort of how we, you know, responding and just me nodding and going, yeah, that's really good. And, and also judging how long my beard is getting right now. So <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, you know, go check those out. Uh, and there'll probably be more videos soon. We're going to try and do some things in the future. Uh, but for now, uh, next episode is, uh, as a bit of a lower budget, uh, it's a it's a much smaller story. It's also came out the same year as John Carter, and it's probably my favourite film of of twenty film twenty twelve. We're going to be talking about Dread. Uh, so uh, we'll see how we both feel about that film uh, in, on the next episode. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for for staying with us. And Julian, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, and a pleasure for me too. I always love it. I got to catch my Zeta beam. Yeah. Uh, Legend, we'll catch you next time. Bye.